Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of In the Grad Scheme of Things. How are you all doing today? I am feeling so excited to introduce you to our guest on the podcast today. So let's get into it. Today, we're joined by David Olfrey, who is a lawyer and member of the Global ESG Board at Clifford Chance. So he has since found his niche in the world of environmental, sport and human rights law and is now climbing the ranks at the renowned international law firm. Welcome, David. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Hi, everyone. <laughs> they can't see the way you miss a podcast, David. Well, David's just waved <laughs> to you all, guys. Um, so let's take it back. Let's rewind the clocks. What led you to study law at Warwick and how did you find it? Sure. So... Truth be told, I wanted to study history or literature, <laughs> and that's where it started. And I remember telling my parents this, and they were like, are you sure? What are you going to do with that? And I just thought, oh, you know what? You're probably right. Let me have a think about this again. <laughs> and I went back to the drawing board, and I realized that actually I loved the way that bricks work together. And so I'm, I'm obsessed with Lego. And in my um, head, it was sort of, what's the foundation of all of these things? And it came straight back to me, which was actually the legal systems. And I grew up in Pakistan. You mentioned this already. The legal systems weren't the most renowned, let's put it that way, uh, when I was growing up. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity to study how this actually works, why it works the way it works, why it doesn't work sometimes the way it works. Yeah. Um, and the more I sort of thought about it, the more I thought this is quite an imaginative space. So going back to the history and literature, don't repeat mistakes made, learn from them, but yeah. also be creative going forward. And I thought this could be, this could be actually quite a fun thing to do. And that's how it all began. Amazing. And was studying law what you expected it and did it turn out to be all you had hoped? Um, yes. Yes, it was. Well, yes, it was to the latter. It turned yeah. out to be everything I hoped. Studying it, everyone said, you're going to be a law student. This is going to be so much work. Are you sure? Everyone had watched Law and Order, right? Like, that was what was going <laughs> yeah. on. So everyone was like, oh, these guys are always in the libraries. Desk. They're always going to be arguing with each other. Yeah. You're always working like 3 a.m. with a little barrister's lamp next to you. <laughs> Yeah, it was all of that too. <laughs> I, I joke. I mean, I joke. It was super interesting because you jump into this course where people are saying to you, let's start with criminal law. Let's start with real estate law. Let's start with tort law. Let's start with contract law. And these are terms that you, you hear, you know what a contract is, sale of goods, you know what criminal law is, all the serial shows that you see on, on TV. But then suddenly you sit down and go, let's reason this out then. And you really start seeing the world very differently. It ruined a lot of movies, straight up. Straight up, it ruined a lot of movies. You suddenly go, for you can't do that. Look at all the damage Spider-Man caused in the city. <laughs> Who's paying for this? Which insurance contract is this covered by? And it was it was actually very intellectually stimulating. It would force conversations around, and we'll come to this no doubt, but you know, what is right, what is wrong, where what governs morality, what governs ethics, what governs society. How do we actually see a situation and then find a way to get to that situation in a way that doesn't actually cause harm and devastation to everyone around you? What is equality? What is fairness? What is justice? I mean, we could spend the rest of this episode talking about just one of those words and what yeah, they all mean yeah. but it created the space for that and as you study law it built out this phenomenal curiosity of all the things I could do and all the things I wanted to do but also all the things I was terribly afraid of and I, I say that sincerely because if you ask me would you be a family lawyer would you be a barrister would you even be a criminal lawyer I would put my hands up and say absolutely not I am so scared of that emotional connection because mm. I actually feel like it requires a huge amount of skill just to be able to separate some of those barriers but mm. I say that proudly, having studied it, and I say that 
I mean, with a lot of respect to those who do it because it is very, very challenging. But university, try it all. Try everything. <laughs> try it all. I mean, I, if I may add just one more piece there, I come from Pakistan, as I mentioned. And so um, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I was baptized as a Christian and I grew up in an Islamic country. And I actually took Islamic law to try and understand why minorities were sometimes treated the way they were. And it was just pure curiosity. I also yeah. took environmental law. I also took Japanese law. Don't ask those. Just <laughs> Every But super fun, right? And it, it really was for me a personal learning curve. And I thought, this is incredible. Like things get rationalized. You actually try and structure behind otherwise absent. Why do people behave this way? What is driving this? How can we... I say correct, but how can we shift some of the behaviors across society? And yeah, since then I felt literally like it gave me an entirely new way of, of, of perceiving reality around me. But yeah, I can also tell you for some, they don't really want a new way to perceive reality. <laughs> so be sure <laughs> you're ready for a pretty good journey. Oh. But just going back to university, how did you actually find the transition from going to school in Pakistan and then coming to university in the UK? Was it a big culture shock? How did you find it? Massive culture shock. So yeah. I had, my parents bought me a one-way ticket. To, <laughs> Bye, David. Yeah, see you. Pretty much, yeah. You better stay there. <laughs> Three years, don't come back without a degree. Um, no, it was a one-way ticket. I'd never been to Warwick University before. So well, I, I'm not even visited. Not visited, not, not seen it. I was just like, ah, it's an adventure. I had one yeah. suitcase, which was my entire life. And off I went. And it was absolutely a culture shock. I, I think I'm fortunate in that I, I grew up sort of just taking every day as a new adventure. And I had sort of a, I, I recommend this to everyone sort of listening as well to have an open mind. Things are going to get scary, but I was very quickly put into a situation where everyone was really scared. Um, my closest friends till today are the friends I made on that bus ride Aww. to university. Uh, they sent us a little shuttle, so they were like, here you go. <laughs> and till today, in fact, even today I met one of them. Till today we were all international students and till today we're, we're some of the closest friends. We go on annual holidays together. Aww. Like it's, it really was from fear to friendship and it was, it was lovely. And I, I think it's only because all of us were equally like, we don't know what we're doing yeah, and yeah, that's completely out. fine. Yeah. But let's all just dive into it and see what happens. And I mean, what happened was it was great fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was terrifying. And then when it came to the job hunt after university, how did that go about? Oh. How did you find it? And what was your first role? All right, buckle in. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is where the news gets less exciting. So I'll start by giving you the punchline, which is that I actually was rejected by Clifford Chance about three times, three wow. and a half times technically, oh, really? before I got in. Um, so many are probably going to wonder. Story behind the LinkedIn. You never know. If you <laughs> yeah, you page. never know. Exactly. Um, but CEC at that time actually rejected me for an, a VAC scheme. So a vacation scheme, which is a summer program. They had a, a winter slash New Year scheme. I got rejected on that. I got rejected on an open day. And finally, I applied for just director training contract. But in, in that process, let me, let me tell you my personal do's and don'ts. Don't copy paste. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually make any typos, but it was very clear that I was speaking generically rather mm -hmm. than intentionally. Don't apply to 500 firms or even 50 or even 30 for that matter, right? Like I, I say this sincerely, you have three years to go through the process, especially now with the Spark schemes and all sorts of other things. Intentionally look for what matters to you. Try to navigate why you want to do something, why you want to work with them. And don't say it's because they're a big firm and a big name. Mm. Oftentimes that's probably the wrong way around. Um, so when I did this, I actually went through my first year, stack of rejections, about 60, six zero. Wow, for those. counting, that's <laughs> resilience building, yeah. yeah. 
And then it got much worse because, so I'm an international student, which means you are on a visa, which also means you're on a yeah, ticking yeah. clock. My second year, I actually told my parents I wasn't coming home for summer. And I stayed at Warwick. We had our own accommodation. We was booked out for the 12-month window. I stayed through summer on my own, and I did application after application. Wow. And I had three interviews initially, phone interviews. None of them succeeded. And then I'd pretty much given up hope. Um, and then I actually had firstly an interview with Reed Smith and then with Clifford Chance and then three others who all sizable organizations. And it was it was a terrifying experience because you've you've had these other interviews and you failed them. You don't really have anyone to speak to as to how to navigate this and what to do next. Because most of, at least my network was not full of lawyers who'd been through the process. You don't yeah. really have access to those people. There's a lot more information and accessibility available now. And I really value that. I think even as, from speaking from my own firm's perspective, the amount of effort we try and put out there to, for people to be able to access this. This is the social inclusion conversation that's been going for a few years. How do you actually bring those people into the system? Um, and then you show up for your interview and you've got to walk into the room, these massive towers of London. Um, Reed Smith's office had the reception on the 29th floor. I will never forget that. <laughs> I've John scared of one. Shout out to them though, because in that office, that bathroom on that floor, incredible. <laughs> just, just look, if you walk in this bay window, just looks over the city of London. It was like incredible. Um, but anyway, so I had a very, very lovely experience with them. They were such, such great people. And I honestly shout out to them for that process that they ran. Um, I felt super comfortable. And then I went to, to CC and I'd already had an offer, which was probably what helped a little bit. But I knew this was my last ever shot with Clifford Chance and it was a firm that I clearly wanted to be with. Fourth time's the charm. And uh, yeah, so you're just, you're terrified. You're like, you don't know what to expect. And it's blind CV, which means the person only knows your first name and you get to tell your story. You get to, you get to actually be the person you want them to be. Now, one thing I will say at this point is I got the interview, but I got the interview on the back of a very strange application that I'd submitted to Clifford Chance. And I say this sincerely, I had three attempts at it and I kept refining it and refining it. And then the fourth one, I trashed it and I started again. And this time, when I started again, I wrote it on the 1st of July. I remember the dates perfectly. Great memory, I'll tell you that. No. <laughs> no, it was an actual experience, right? Like, you, you, you learn these things, you're just like, because I planned it, I calendared it, so I do remember it. You've got the anniversary coming up Oh, soon. honestly, right? And uh, no, I, I sat down through that process and I, I said, I'm going to draft this from scratch. And one of the questions they asked back then in the application was, what achievement are you most proud of and why? Good luck. And that was the biggest word count. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is crazy. Like all this time I've been like, I want to be a lawyer and corporate law is super fun. Blah, blah, blah. That was completely a lie. And so I started and I started by saying, well, my greatest achievement was that I am fully graded and as a, as a concert pianist. Wow. And I wrote my entire answer about the piano and my love for music and how much resilience and time it took to get through that process. And I told a really honest story about what I personally honestly believe was my greatest achievement. And it got me through the door. So that was lesson one instantly, which was right. So I don't need to, to fake it. Secondly, I wrote it on the 1st of July, but I submitted it last. So it was the one I wanted the most. And so I wrote it and I was terrified because I wrote it and I was like, this is me being super vulnerable, but also super honest. And then I popped it, did all the other applications in between. So it was a total of 15, one five. Um, and I ended up submitting Clifford Chance's application last. And I went back to it and I read it the next time and I thought, 
you know what? I've actually done 14 other applications in the process. I can improve this in the following ways. And I did improve it. And then I just sent it off and you, que sera, sera, right? And I remind people of this every day. You are a trainee solicitor. The title is the hint. You're not expected to know everything about law. You're expected to be willing to know everything about law by the end of two years. But at that point, you're coming in to actually be willing to learn, to be willing to be part of a team. It means rolling your sleeves sometimes. Sometimes it means stepping well outside of your comfort zone. It Sometimes it means being able to say, I'm sorry, I just don't have an answer or I'm tired. I need a hand and it's okay. All of these things are completely fine. So you don't have to walk in there being like, I am the best lawyer that ever was. I am Harvey Specter. I'm, um, I'm, I'm glad to say at least the experience I've had, it's been much more about are you, are you willing to, to get involved? Are you willing to be curious? And if you are, then welcome aboard. That's my own piece of advice. Be yourself in the applications. Don't don't overstretch yourself. You're, you don't you don't have to, to join every firm out there. When you get there, just just don't don't believe that you have to know all the answers up front. Obviously, don't don't go completely clueless either. You need to know what the law is. And they say commercial awareness. Know what's going on in the world. But but just know when you don't know something and be ready to own that. It's completely fine. And obviously, you said that you applied to about fifteen applications in total. Yeah. How did the hiring process differ? Because you said with Clifford Chance, it was about vulnerability, showing your real self, and it wasn't necessarily about your qualifications. So did you find that in the other law firms that you yeah. applied for, like Reedsmith? The only variance which I think everyone should be aware about is know your audience. And what I mean by that is um, if you are going in and you're speaking to a partner versus a senior associate, chances are the senior associate is on their track to partnership anyway. So they're pretty much one and the same, but they actually have different responsibilities. So a partner will have perhaps a slightly more commercial approach to the questions. A senior associate might have a much more legalistic approach to the questions. Fundamentally, you'll be working a lot more with the senior associates, which means that they're looking for, do you have the right team player attitude? Mm. The partners may be looking for more curiosity and research. Can I trust my clients with you is the test that I use sometimes, which is if a partner is speaking to you, they're probably thinking, I have these relationships behind me. I'm going to put this lawyer in front of them. Will they Will they swim or will they, will they drown? And obviously you've spoken about mentorship and having senior leaders that have really helped with your ideations and helped you find your niche and trusted you with your niche. What advice would you give to students when seeking out mentorship and how did you go about finding your mentors within Clifford Chart? That's a, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a really hard question. Good question, but a really hard question. I I don't think there's a perfect answer to that. Um, Not every mentor is going to be your perfect mentor. Sometimes, and also not every mentor is going to be your mentor for life. So those are probably two things to set up up front. My mentors have changed almost, I wouldn't say annually, but almost every two years. And the reason for that is you grow from even student to trainee, trainee to associate, associate to senior associate um, and beyond. Your mentors are expected to change along the way. You are dynamic, they are dynamic. The world is not static. So the first piece is, I think the, the, well, the most important one is actually understanding whether or not the purpose of your, men- what is the objective of your mentorship? What are you trying to gain from it? If you're trying to find someone who is going to turn you into a partner, that's utopian to think about. If you're trying to find someone who can actually tell you how to navigate a system, because you want to try and do something different, that's a very different mentor. They will be celebrating when the time is right. And in the process of getting these mentors, I think a lot of our listeners might actually be doing their training contract or heading to law firms at the end of summer. Do you actually approach these people and say, hey, will you be my mentor? Or do you just gradually create that relationship with them? Probably a combination. Um, There are, so let me put differently. 
There are, there are many law firms now, especially many universities who offer mentorship programs with sort of a matchmaking with your mentor. If you want a mentor through a formal process, use that route. If however, along the way you meet somebody and you have a laugh and you click at a personal level, it could be anything. It could be commonality of interests, it could be commonality of heritage, it could be anything. Um, again, it goes back to what are your objectives. You might actually find that that's a helpful person. But as you are, well, if you are at university, I recommend cast a wider net. Go for a mentor who actually may be recommended by the university. If you're going for an internship, use that time you're spending with the firm to find a few. Like, again, don't look at partners as the only option for a mentor. Look at an associate as an option for a mentor. And I think it's, it does require initiative. It does, it does require you to want to have a mentor, um, which is why it goes back to the same point. What are your objectives? Because unless you've got that written out, they'll be like, yeah, we'd love to have a conversation with you. When would you like to speak? And you'd walk in there and say, and they'd be like, how can I help? And you have no idea what you're saying. And that's, that's not the right way to start a relationship. The right way to start a relationship should be, look, the reason I'm coming to you is, and that is, is very important because it has to match the personality you're sitting with. So you don't start by saying, I want a mentor. You start by really saying, I'm looking for someone to help me with. And again, it's vulnerable. It is, it, these are all vulnerable situations. I, I, don't, I don't mean to sound like they are just things that everyone does. I mean, it is, you need to get into that mindset of being like, I want to learn, I want to improve, I want to grow, I want to understand. And in order to achieve that, I am willing to be vulnerable, to, to, to expose some of my weaknesses, to actually challenge myself, to step outside of my comfort zone, to make an effort, which sometimes these people are busy, right? They're gonna be like, I can see you in two weeks time. And you're like, oh, but I've got dinner with my friends. And that's fine, you can have dinner with your friends, <laughs> but then you also need to try and figure out, okay, but how will I make sure that I'm not getting completely wasted that night so I can have the next morning an effective meeting with this person, right? So like those sort of things are, they play into it and these people will will recognize that effort. They really do. So don't ever, don't ever think that they don't recognize that extra smile or that extra effort, that extra ambition, it's all its all noted. You start to see it more and more clearly. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. I mean, if you're going for, a, for an internship, for sure, absolutely. If that's the firm you want to join, if those are the people you want, even if it's not the firm you want to join, just, just ask one of the associates. There'll be, most of them would be very happy to be like, sure, I can sit down with you for a coffee. We can figure it out. And maybe it's one coffee, that's it. Maybe it's 10 coffees, hopefully not on the same day. But <laughs> So you've obviously progressed really quickly and successfully through Clifford Chance. Did you have a kind of five-year plan, five-year vision, and do you know what the next five years is going to look like? No, I never <laughs> had that. I, I would love to imagine myself as one day being a partner in this organization, but at the same time, I never, I never really tie myself to that. I think it's, it's been such a, everything I planned just never happened. And so I've come to the point where I'm just like, I'm just gonna take it a day at a time. I'm gonna live my life and enjoy it at the same time. And we'll see where it goes, it'll be fun. I, I, I mean, I, I never thought I would do litigation ever in my career, and there I was doing litigation. I never thought I would come into a private equity and corporate and funds world, and here I am doing it. And I. Every time it's sort of life has, if you keep an open mind, life will give you opportunities. Doors will open, you've got to be willing to walk through them. And that's where, you know, it goes back to all the way down to law school. Just keep an open mind all the way through. There's so much in this world that, that will excite you, that will interest you, that will tempt you sometimes. Keep an open mind to it, right? Don't don't write off things before you've actually thought about it, had a chance to engage with it, interact with it. Also, very important, don't judge other people for doing stuff that you don't want to do. Like the number of people I've met who are just like, mm, I wouldn't really want to be a tax. Nobody asked me to do tax. 
do something else. Do anything else. Like there is there is a phenomenal world of very talented tax lawyers, right? Like, but it's it's one of those things where don't don't list the things you don't want. Start by listing the things you really want because the list of things you don't want is going to be like that big, right? It's or maybe for some it's a massive list, but sorry, when I said that big, it was a really small. List. <laughs> um, but if you actually know what you really want, find your way there. And I'm still a, such a strong believer in look. I I don't think the world should live to work. Right? That's not can't possibly be. The, the fundamental part of our existence <laughs> is doing a day job. So I really hope that people aren't so scared about, you know, don't be rich by 30. It's not a problem. It's not the end of the world if you don't have four Ferraris by like 26 or whatever the new, new age is for that. <laughs> Do what you love and you'll find your way there. Like, it'll come through. Your passion will always come through. It's it's wild. It's like I started with, right? You introduced me and I was saying I've got half a, half a sports practice somewhere along the way. I've never <laughs> watched... I've, the first football match I watched, I think, was like last year. So like... <laughs> So just, just enjoy it. Go for the ride. See what happens. Amazing. And obviously on that note, is there any other advice that you'd give to students that are looking to enter a career in law? Any final golden nuggets of information? Honestly, just be yourselves, guys. It's These organisations are big. They can be scary sometimes. You can they can they can look intimidating. They're made up of very hardworking people who are who started the same place as you, candidly. And they are all just trying to figure it out together, right? So come in with the right attitude. That's probably the most important thing when it comes to law. Just come in with the right attitude. Know what you're applying for, know what you're getting yourself into, know what you want to do, and then be ready to do it. Like, stick to your word. Stick to your word to yourself, stick to your word to your colleagues. Just get on with it. I think we've got so many pearls of wisdom from that. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. Okay, Rocky, ready for listener's dilemma of the day? Yeah. So this listener has said, if I don't land a job in my dream field immediately after graduation, will it then become harder to get into it as time goes on? What do you think? I think it's so, so rare to actually land a dream job after graduation because A, do you know what kind of company would be your ideal? Do you even know what exactly the role would be that would be your dream role? Um, So... I think take the time to explore different companies, different areas and actually learn what it is that you like um, and take the time to upskill, network, gain experiences that you probably wouldn't have had in that job. And people change their careers really late in life and that's okay. So if you don't land that job immediately, you're still good. Yeah, I completely agree. Also, you might not have landed a role in the field you want, but the company that you've landed the role with might actually offer that. So I think when you start a new job, you're opening yourselves up to so many different people that you can network with, um, attend different events across so many different sectors of that company. So you never know if you're going to find contacts related to the field that you want, or maybe that company has a branch um, and then you can switch around and explore later on and just get those skills and take them with you. And then you're probably better set up for the job that's actually in your dream field so it could turn out to help you in the long run if that helps so just before you go if you're looking for grad roles internships placements or even spring weeks we have so many opportunities live with our clients right now currently we have roles open at Hayes McIntyre Maven Securities Knight Frank L'Oreal KPMG Softcat and Fidelity so head to our link tree in the description to find out more thanks for tuning in today we hope you enjoyed this episode have a great rest of the day